As entrepreneurs, we want to see the future. We want to be able to predict the future. We want to be able to, as Wayne Gretzky uh, stated, is skate to where the puck is going. We want to understand what the future is going to present so that we can deliver tremendous value to our clients. Well, here's the challenge. It's hard to predict the future. Well, I've got a special treat for you. I've got a best-selling author, uh, a futurist, who is going to share with you not only his thoughts about predicting the future, but more importantly, the tools so that you can do it as well. Stay tuned. You're going to be extremely glad you did, and your clients will too. Ordinary success? No way. You want amazing, remarkable, exceptional breakthroughs. Dig deep. Think bold. Drive hard. Watch yourself soar beyond your dreams. AESNation.com Theodore Modis, uh, I really appreciate you coming uh, from Switzerland here by the magic of Skype and joining us and uh, uh, sharing with us. You know, you, you've, you've really done uh, some amazing work over the last I mean, 20 years between books and so on. But uh, first of all, let me just greet you here. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. It's my pleasure. Well, let's let's dive in before we go into I mean, because it's a it's a pretty big setup to be able to foretell the future as entrepreneurs this is one of our dreams what what i'd love to do is really get an understanding from you of your background how did you get to this point because i mean this is something that we all dream of and don't think is possible and you've got a very distinct background that led you to this well i was a physicist uh, in a previous life uh, I was trained as a physicist and I worked uh, in big laboratories like Brookhaven Labs and the CERN in Europe for over 10 years, 15 years almost, doing experiments in physics. And then I mutated. I, I went to the industry to work for Digital Equipment Corporation in a special uh, section they had management science. Uh, I was in charge of a group uh, of scientists in the service of. Uh, of this company, which gave us the blind check of saying, uh, study anything that can be of help to the company. So uh, in particular, they'd like to know more about competition and uh, market dynamics. So not knowing much about competition myself, I went to the library, as I used to do all my life, to look up competition. And I found uh, much literature, uh, both quantitative and uh, otherwise, uh, but done by biologists, ecologists, uh, uh, social scientists uh, with formulations which I was able to take and apply to the world of uh, the, the world of business to the marketplace. The understanding is that competition is the same in the marketplace as it is in nature. It's survival of the fittest. Uh, so uh, knowing the mathematics that govern this, uh, I was able to uh, use it to. Uh, do digital products. I mean, the, the computer. The, uh, if I may go to the to this, uh, what you see behind me mm -hmm. is is the way rabbits multiply. You put two rabbits on a fenced-off range, and the two go four. The four have eight, sixteen, etc. So in the beginning, you have an exponential growth of the population, but later, to the extent that the, the rabbit population is so big that there's not enough grass around. The population will slow, the growth of the population slows down 
to a maximum number of rabbits that can be fed by the available grass. Now, when I, and this, this form is S-shaped. That's why we call it the S-curve. It's like a figure, the, the, the letter S. There's mathematics behind it. So uh, when I uh, talk to uh, my digital colleagues about uh, rabbits, they all said, uh, we make computers here. Why are you talking to us about rabbits? What's, what do computers and rabbits have in common? So I developed this joke, which I like very much, which is they can multiply. But what's more, they multiply in exactly the same way. Because uh, if you take the way the computer cash cow at the time, a mini computer was selling, uh, the, the cumulative sales, they follow exactly an S-shaped curve. And when I did the study, it was uh, three quarters down. So uh, uh, this is the total number of sales. The, the sales per quarter is the, the life cycle of the product, the bell-shaped curve. So I want to tell them, uh, the marketers, that to be aware that your cash cow is beginning to phase out. They didn't want to hear anything, certainly not from a physicist. They said, you don't know this business. I mean, we, we, we have plans to, to uh, advertise. We have plans to throw in for free uh, the software. We, have, uh, we, we know about the midlife kicker. This product will last uh, five more times as, as the previous products. So I didn't do anything. I just waited, sat and wait for three years. And uh, lo and behold, the, the data came exactly on the predicted trajectory. The S-curve was completed three years later. And the product phased out. So three years later, I went back to those marketers, the ones who had survived, because many of them had left by the time. And uh, I told them, uh, what happened? Didn't you uh, do all the things you said you were going to do? <laughs> yes, yes, they said, we did them. But uh, we bought a new product too soon. And it was cheaper. And it was the same performance. And we cannibalized our own stuff. I said, wait a minute. This product, Microvax 2, was introduced on 87. Fiscal 87. By that time, this pro the, the, the previous product had practically finished. So when you brought the, the other product, it was just enough time to save your market niche so a competitor doesn't squeeze in. You did the right thing, and it wasn't you who, uh, who um, uh, killed the product. It was the fact that this niche was completed in a natural way, in a way rabbits complete the ecological niche. This is powerful. Let me jump in just for a second. and. And let everyone know, too, uh, if you're, you're on the audio podcast and you're listening to this but not viewing it, you can go to the uh, uh, website, aesnation.com, and download the slides. Uh, Theodore is making them all available, and there, there's uh, some really great insights that's going to help you really understand this concept of S-curves. Now, if you're on the video podcast and a little hard to read, um, on the screen, but it's, you know, you, you get a good picture, but again, you can get those at AESNation.com. Anything we refer to, you'll be able to get the link. So uh, you definitely want to go there. But Th Theodore, when I, I look at that and, and how do I know where I am? And, you know, you're talking with your associates here and uh, how, how do you know where to plot on the S curve? Cause as a business person, you know, when I, one of the big things, I'm, I'm looking for trends and, you know, I, I, I've, I've read your material and I, I, I really agree totally on this S-curve concept, but sometimes I don't know where I am in that whole process, which makes it hard as a business person to decide what actions I should be taking. Well, in this particular case, I mean, when I took the data and I plotted them, uh, plotted the total number of uh, products, 
I saw the population grow exponentially and then start slowing down. And I, I interrupted my data stuff right three quarters down the curve. Mm -hmm. And then I tried to fit an S-curve on all these points. An S-curve doesn't have too many parameters. It's a, it's a very simple function with three parameters. Once you determine the parameters, you know them forever. So from then on, you can go at time infinity or time minus infinity. You can go anywhere on the time axis and find out the value you want. That's why you can do forecast and backcast. You know, that's why the title of the book was uh, forecast the future, but also understand the past because you can go backwards and figure out what should have happened if the beginning is not known. Now, and you, now you have some other examples too, because I mean, it's one to, you know, okay, rabbits, not a big interest, but I can see the, you know, the uh, <laughs> scenario. Uh, when I get into computers, I'm in Silicon Valley and, uh, you know, I've watched so often this happen exactly the way you're illustrating it. Uh, you know, are we just picking some cherry picking kind of examples? No, it's, it's ubiquitous. It happens across the board in all kinds of uh, uh, phenomena. It, 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 it's, uh, I have a curve here, which is uh, uh, the, the number of cars. You see the number of cars circulating in America is followed an S-curve from the uh, late 30s when a car really became a dominant uh, means of transportation mm -hmm. to the beginning of the 90s. The curve is a complete. There's no more room for cars in America. There, there's not gonna, there's, there's, the number of circulating cars in America is not going to grow anymore. It's going to be only replacements from now on because the niche is full. So, as you see, it's quite, quite accurate. But not only cars, more fascinating car accidents. Car accidents start growing together with cars but, but they, they stopped growing when they reached the, the magical number of about uh, 24 per 100,000 per year. The deaths from car accidents grew along an S-curve, as you see, and then it, start, it became flat with big fluctuations, like the rabbits fluctuate, uh, the population fluctuates, try to go above the niche capacity and then dying away because they don't have enough food. So the same thing here, the, 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 the accidents were trying to to grow faster, but uh, society would keep a tight lid on the total number of accidents. So we have an equilibrium, what they call in, in biology homeostasis, where opposing forces find an equilibrium on this level here. This level of 24 per 100,000 per year is what society wants to, to have for accidents. Because if you didn't want any accidents, you can abolish cars from the streets, but it doesn't pay. So, uh, so it pays to the point of having uh, this level. If it goes above, they become uh, upset. Uh, Ralph Nader wrote a bestseller calling cars uh, uh, murderous weapons, and it had an impact. You know, seat belts became mandatory, and uh, speed limits were dropped. But all this because this number drifted from 24 to 27 when Ralph Nader uh, blew the whistle. Then once it goes down, people go away. They don't think about car accidents anymore. So the S-curve uh, of the car accident is complete. And here, accidents must be thought of as a species which is growing in competition because society doesn't allow all the accidents to become realized. You know, they, they have a cap on it. This is, I mean, it's very powerful. And I mean, it's, you know, it's one of those things that when you share it like you're sharing it, it becomes you know, kind of self-evident that, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's one of those blindingly obvious things only after the fact uh, that, 
you know, then what I love, though, is you're use, showing us how to use it as a tool because we can then look toward the future as well. And, you know, whether you know, we're talking about rabbits, and cars or car accidents. Uh, More than that. Look, yeah. Here we talk about one person's life. Mozart was a musician. He wrote compositions. But if you track them down the way his compositions grew over time, it follows an escrow. And in fact, when Mozart dies, this escrow is practically complete, which throws a new light over the death of uh, of Mozart. In my book, I call it Mozart dies of old age because by the time he died, his potential, creative potential, had been exhausted. So uh, it's a learning curve. People call it a learning curve because uh, that's how you accumulate learning. It cannot go forever. The, 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 the key thing behind the S curve is that growth in competition cannot go forever. It will grow, it will grow exponentially in the beginning, but then it will flatten out. And the only way to to sustain growth is to uh, go from one S-curve to the other, you know, to keep jumping S-curves that uh, as new niches open or you find uh, as the species mutates possibly, but uh, in one go, uh, you cannot have constant uh, growth. You cannot have constant percentage growth. Some, uh, some uh, hasty uh, CEOs do that. They say we'll grow 20% a year and in five years we'll be so big. But 20% per year is exponential. Nothing is exponential. Explosions are exponential. But natural growth falls S-curves. So it may look exponential at the very beginning, but then it will slow down. So uh, you can anticipate the slowdown. Uh, and that's what uh, uh, my job has been most of the time, trying to anticipate uh, where and when this curve will be completed. And possibly, what is the next curve uh, we should be looking for to go on? Well, Theodore, let me jump in because I think this is such an important point that you're making is that as entrepreneurs, what we want to do is understand the natural flow of, uh, you know, really everything, S-curve, but business and competition and recognize, you know, all of us have put together uh, Excel spreadsheets of our business plans and we run it out linear and you know it is not that or we'll have even some of us will be overly aggressive in silicon valley and do exponential and we'll just keep it growing and well, there's a recognition here that we can really get you know the life cycle of that solution that product that whatever we're doing and what we have to do is have that innovation so that we can you know, develop that next solution is in, you know, I want you to comment on whether I'm understanding it correctly. So we can then have that next S curve. So we can, we can keep growing, but we're not going to grow it with the same solution, you know, endlessly. Is that correct? No. In fact, in between, it's uh, uh, in between S curves, it's what I call a winter. Uh, mm -hmm. If I can jump perhaps already to, uh, uh, to the, uh, this uh, curve here where we have energy consumption worldwide and uh, per capita energy consumption worldwide and we see two clearly defined S curves uh, one started in the mid uh, the mid 19th century and it, it grew up very fast around the turn of the 20th century but then it hit a ceiling and we see here how it slows down uh, around 1920 and for about 20 years it's flat with big fluctuations. Uh, there's no growth around the depression. Before and after the depression, there was zero growth in the energy consumption. And then it picked up again you know, on a second S, S shape, and they grew very rapidly in the 60s, you know, those boom years, you remember? Mm -hmm. 
And then again, when we reached the 80s, it started, uh, it started, I'll show you like this, the way it was published in my first book, uh, it started fluctuating again. And in my first book, I said, that, well, we're going to have another stagnation period now, and there should be another S-curve that will follow. And this dotted line, I don't know whether it's visible, it was my forecast at the time that there should be a picking up of this uh, variable worldwide energy consumption, which correlates very much with the economy, because if you consume a lot of energy, you are doing something with it. The economy goes good. The economy was stagnating in the 20s and the 30s, and it was stagnating in the 90s, late 80s and 90s, but it grew very fast on the turn of the 20th century and on the 60s and the 50s. And now, in fact, in my new book, here is the data. You see the little points here that came exactly. This is one of my success stories. I have many of those, but this is uh, my favorite one. <laughs> so, because I was able to predict a rising trend from a flat trend, and the data came exactly on the on the dot. This is 20 years, 22 years worth of data. So we are growing again on another S curve, and you see the pattern: growth flattening, growth flattening. We are on a growth uh, on a growth trajectory again. In fact, if you zoom back a little bit and you say, well, suppose I take a macro look here, and I, uh, for a big distance, I try to put a big S-curve here, a huge S-curve, uh, uh, ignoring the deviations around the 30s and the 90s. Suppose you get a big S-curve like that, you see that there's wiggles, it doesn't fit. A big S-curve doesn't fit. There's wiggles around it. And those wiggles go up and down, and I can extract them quantitatively to get this cycle. This cycle is the so-called Kontrajev cycle. Kontrajev was a, 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 a Russian mathematician in the 20s and 30s who, by economic uh, theories, said there must be a cycle of 50, 60 years uh, that governs economy. People didn't believe him. Even Some people, even today, they doubt his, uh, his... But here, I don't have it with economic theory. Here, I have it with units of energy consumed. I mean, there's no subjective element whatsoever here. We count the number of watts consumed, and we see that it oscillates with a 56-year period. And uh, uh, so here is the, the, uh, the, the crisis of the 30s, the depression of the 30s. Here is the depression of the, of the 90, early 90s. There was an earlier depression in the 1870s, uh, 90s, uh, when, uh, uh, but, but this cycle times many phenomena, uh, including stock market crashes. Uh, I'll jump and show it right now, because uh, uh, you see, on this cycle, the, the, the big stock market crash of the 30s was right as we're coming out of the boom. And uh, in 87, another crash uh, in New York was again as we're coming out of the boom. Uh, there was a crash earlier in Vienna. Well, New York did not, I mean, Dow Jones did not exist. Uh, mm -hmm. The stock market in New York City did not exist at the time. In, in 1973, but the Vienna stock market crashed again as we're coming out of the cycle. So my forecast for a next serious crash of the market is right here. That is 56 years from the previous one. So it must be in the, around the, the 30s, the late 30s, not earlier. I mean, there may be big fluctuations, but a serious crash like the 29 or the 87 should be expected only around the 30s. According to this cycle, there's a whole chapter in my first book which times many social phenomena on, uh, on this uh, clock. Uh, the price of oil, for example. I don't know whether we're going to talk about it now or later. Well, let's, let's do this because let me stop you just for a second. And, yeah. 
you know, as I, I mean, this is all really interesting. And what, what, as entrepreneurs, what we struggle with is how can we use this? Um, and I can see the S curve, you know, I understand how I can really, that's going to be very helpful for better understanding business, you know, the kind of the product life cycles and business cycles. And then I go and, you know, we're looking at energy consumption and, and we know, I mean, uh, as we're doing the recording on this podcast, I mean, we've seen oil drop, you know, tremendously, 115 a barrel to below 50 uh, at the time of the recording. And, and that, and then we've also seen technologies improve fracking and so on. And there's all these factors and how, how do they help, um, to, you know, uh, contribute to this cycle and, and what can we learn as business people to know? I, I have some friends in the oil industry and I, I <laughs> they are all very well aware of the cycles, but they don't, you know, they don't seem to be able to predict. They overinvest at times and underinvest at other times, and it's and it's it's uh, hard on them. Well, uh, let's talk about energy price. Uh, here is the the price of primary energy uh, over the last two hundred years, and of course, it fluctuates a lot. It's normalized for inflation. But what we have here is uh, for the first three cycles. It starts from the from the beginning of the eighteenth century. Yeah? Uh, we have 200 years of data, and it, 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 for the first three, uh, for the first hundred years, I have uh, fuel and lighting, the price of fuel and lighting, which was mostly carbon-fed, maybe some wood in the early days. But uh, so on this price, the, in, the price index of fuel and lighting, we see uh, three significant spikes, and they are exactly 56 years apart. Uh, the first one was a tremendous in the, in the uh, 1820, 23. Uh, the other one was uh, the 1870 and uh, in 1920. But again, if I put the contrastive clock, I use it as a clock here, the cycle uh, that, that derived from the energy consumption underneath here, idealized, we see that the spikes coincide again with the moment at which we're coming out of the boom and beginning of the recession. So at that moment, uh, energy price spikes here fivefold, here twofold, here threefold, not factors of 20, 20% or 50%. And there's another spike in the in 1980, 1981 for oil price, uh, and, and that also is 56 years apart from the previous one. On this part of the graph, uh, of the second half of the 20th century, I'm using the price of oil because the primary energy. Uh, society was using was oil during this period so uh the price of oil spiked in the in the 79.81 and then uh there was a big uh, rise of the price in 2008 in july 2008 people thought it was a record high if you correct for inflation it wasn't a record high it was somewhat less and if you take the average over the year it was even lower so you see this is the red dot is where we are today. Uh, I, I say that if this, uh, if, the, if the first oil peak was comparable to the 8070 uh, light and uh, lightning peak, then uh, what we see now is a background fluctuation. The background fluctuation may go from 100 to 50 dollars, but it's not going to go three or four times the price, which is what my scenario here says for an eventual oil price hike. Eventual price should be 
56 years from uh, 18, uh, uh, 1970, uh, 71, 70, on, on the spike of the 1980s, and uh, uh, maybe uh, three or four times, uh, you know, three hundred dollars barrel or three hundred fifty, that kind of magnitude. But that one you're not going to see for another uh, 20, 25 years. So in the meantime, there will be fluctuations, and uh, uh, whether it fluctuates around ninety or whether it fluctuates around fifty, uh, I say uh, it's a background that can change significantly. You see. Uh, over the 200 years, this background price was going up and down. But as an insight from this study, is that a big, a big price hike of the order of three or four times the, the value will only be in the not before 2030, uh, 20, 2035, 2040. So we get some insight of the big spikes of the oil price. The smaller uh, fluctuations should be understood closer with the production of oil. Let me show you uh, this curve, which shows the oil production. Uh, look how smooth this curve is. It's, it's a naturally, it's a theoretical S-curve, the, the purple line, the, the turquoise line, and the black line on top of it is the actual production. It's, it, the agreement is, is tremendous. Like one would think that uh, uh, we're cheating to make it look so, 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 so good. And of course, it shows that the production of oil over the last 150 years uh, was uh, reaching a ceiling, was almost complete as a species. So I was very, very uh, confident of this forecast. I mean, I would put my hand on fire. Uh, if you look at the life cycle, uh, it went up. And from the uh, 1970 onward, uh, the production of oil has been coming down in America. And I was saying that this is a very good forecast. But what happened is, my new book, is that the production changed and it started growing. Uh, after 2008, oil production started jumping up on a completely different graph, which to me indicates that this species, in quotation mark, underwent a mutation. It wasn't the same species anymore after 2008. And you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about fracking, because uh, uh, fracking took off seriously around 2008. Production picked up tremendously. Uh, there's no way to reconcile that production with this forecast. It proves my forecast to be wrong, but it was an excellent forecast. It's the it's the species that mutated. So uh, we have to worry. We have to worry about when we're talking about competition. We have to worry about the mutations, which, by the way, in the marketplace are more uh, frequent and easier to do than in nature. In nature, the the hare will always be prey to the fox. But in, in nature, the roles, the competitive roles can change by reorganizations, by uh, measures, acquisitions. So, um, uh, so the competitive dynamics, uh, one can go from a predator to a prey and by a mutation. So here, a mutation took place, and we are on a new S-curve now uh, that has to do with fracking. Now, from the rate of growth, I haven't done the S-curve for fracking yet, but from the rate of growth that's so rapid, I can, do, I can tell that it's not going to be a very long-lasting uh, uh, phenomenon. It's not going to be anything like what we've seen before uh, with uh, conventional uh, oil drilling techniques. Uh, but for the moment, it's growing very fast. And uh, uh, a quick look I did uh, gave me of the order of uh, 10 years of uh, fracking exploitation, 
10, 15 years rather than 150 years there was the, the oil drilling. We may even come back to drilling at some point if uh, fracking uh, is uh, conclu concluded cycle. Well, no, this is, I mean, this is really very powerful. And, uh, you know, because as we're, you know, I, I'm, I'm taking it in and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, okay, we've got, you know, some ability to predict kind of a, you know, the traditional or your S curve and natural growth of competition, what we're seeing, the, the survival of the fittest, uh, both in nature and in business. And then we're, we're, that's in, allowing us to really start planning out our product cycles, our solutions that we're delivering to our clients. But then we have to be really careful, though, that there can be unseen events coming. Uh, you know, fracking would be an example. I think most people didn't expect it to be this big. We didn't see the U.S., you know, your prediction and, and many others were, you know, the U.S. was never going to be a net exporter of energy. And well, it's not yet, huh? No, I know. But, yeah, but it's with the still importing, but it's importing less. <laughs> well, and and what I and I think what what the new S curve with fracking, I, you haven't done that, but I would expect that to show that probably will be a net exporter. But we're not going to, you know, it doesn't continue endlessly. This technology That's boom. That's for sure. That's for sure. It's not going to continue endlessly, particularly because fracking involves. Uh, drilling deeper and changing drills very often. So it's becoming expensive and uh, exhausting uh, in terms of uh, uh, procedures. Let me ask you, Theodore, I'm going to change the subject. I didn't bring this up before and I should have. Um, I don't know if you know Peter Diamandis. Uh, I know you do know because uh, I saw you write something on Ray Kur Kurzweil. Uh, you know, they, they Peter was on an earlier podcast. He wrote a book called The uh, Abundance 360. I, I know, I know Peter. Um, okay. I don't know personally. He's another Greek by that matter. <laughs> yes. Uh, and uh, he, uh, matter of fact, I met him with Ariana Huffington, another Greek. Uh, so you guys are you know driving a lot of the business. And one of the things that Peter talks about with Ray and Ray has written tremendously about and they started a university called Singularity University, you know, of uh, this, you know, these unforeseen events and, and actually going so far that artificial intelligence will be, is, you know, something that is becoming more and more, you know, out there. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I remember talking about artificial intelligence for the last 30, 40 years, but that the exponential growth and this, and that's going to just change everything. How do you feel about that? I mean, well, I, I feel very strongly and, and I don't agree with the eternal exponential growth. I mean, Kurzweil himself says that eventually it will stop being exponential, but it's so far in the future, you don't have to worry about it. He's a little sloppy. That's not the right. I mean, many of the, you know, the exponential graphs he has in his book, uh, if you look at them more carefully, have already started uh, de deviating from exponential patterns and going towards S curves. Uh, I, I don't agree uh, with the fact uh, we're not going to stop progress. I mean, progress will always go on, but uh, uh, we, we're, we'll never become uh, guinea pigs to machines. I mean, that idea of the superhuman, I think, is, is naive. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, I, I've criticized the, the work of Kurzweil. In his book, uh, he's using my data to, to show that uh, things are exponential. But uh, while I go farther saying that uh, 
uh, we are at the midpoint of the exponential and uh, pretty soon uh, things will start counting down in terms of uh, uh, this blowing uh, uh, blowing out of uh, technology uh, he doesn't go that way so so we deviate with with uh, with Vail. Diamandis is uh, taking another angle. At least he's making it positive. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I go along with that. I mean, uh, positive is good. Uh, what I don't like particularly is that uh, uh, much, machines will take over and will become guinea pigs, and that uh, this is absurd. I mean, yeah, uh, I, I think actually Peter, because I know Peter fairly well, he's kind of modifying it now, and uh, that it's. It's going to be the winning formula will be the combination of both. Uh, and we're seeing it over and over again, like Watson, uh, you know, on Jeopardy, the IBM computer. The, yeah. You know, yes, it won, but IBM hasn't been able to really make a business out of it. And what businesses that have worked have been using that, combining that human element with it in uh, consulting applications and so on. You know what I'd like to do, uh, Theodore, I mean, you know, this is so interesting. You, you've spent, you know, uh, really a, a, a vast amount of time and you publish hundreds of articles on this. But, um, you know, if somebody wants a fellow entrepreneur, as they should, you know, they care about the future, they want to understand better about how to predict that, what of your books should they go to? Oh, uh, the book to read is the, the first one, Predictions. Society's Delta Signature Reveals the Past and Forecast of Future. I don't know whether you can see it. But we'll put the link in the uh, on Amazon, Predictions, Society, Telltale Signature Reveals Past and uh, Forecast. And this is 20 years ago, and you've now done an update uh, to... I, I came up with another version 10 years ago, which was... Uh, uh, predictions 10 years later, and now I have a new one, which is predictions 20 years later. So uh, this sequence of books uh, uh, is the, the foundation of, of my work, and the, the, uh, the, the, people, the people will get the best idea if they get uh, either the first or the second, because the third one I change, I introduce many new, many new topics. I update all the forecasts of the previous ones, but I introduced many new topics on the, on, the new, on the latest one, and I left out some of the juicy uh, stories in the first one. No, you know, Theodore, it's one of the things I've, I've read a number of books uh, along the way of futurists and articles, and they seem to disappear as the future happens. <laughs> you know, we get to the present. Uh, forecasters uh, refrain from, uh, from uh, confronting their own forecasts. I'm the rare exception. I go back 10 years, I go back 20 years, and I check my all, all my forecasts. And I have many success stories, but what fascinates me more is the deviations because they reveal uh, some secrets. Why, like the, the, the fracking, for example, when I saw this deviation, I was going out of my mind. I said, how can it, uh, such a nice forecast be wrong? And then I realized, I said, what happened in 2008? And it was obvious that it was happened. I mean, but uh, I didn't know fracking had this impact until I looked at the data. Well, and uh, Theodore, I mean, this is so great. And let me go one more step on the, uh, uh, I do a segment, uh, the smart app uh, or smartphone application of the day. What, is there something that you would recommend to your fellow entrepreneurs? Uh, shall I turn on the light here? Would it help? Yeah, it, it would actually. Yeah, one of the things i uh, doing uh, podcast is, Every once in a while, technology gets in the way of things. Yeah, no, that's a lot better. Thank you. 
Uh, yeah. yeah, but now we have the reflection. That's okay. Well, look, uh, uh, I have uh, tools in my website uh, to do your own S-curve. How uh, find where are you on the curve? Uh, the catch word is is your company appropriately dressed for the season it is traversing, because the life cycle has growth seasons, uh, flat seasons, winters, and summers. So uh, there is software there people can use professionally in business to uh, to uh, deduce life cycles and position themselves on the curve. But on the stock market, I have a, uh, we just released last year with a young man who knew how to do this complicated uh, Apple forecast uh, tr uh, programming, <laughs> which uh, I could do uh, a, a little iPhone, iPad application that uh, does uh, the forecast uh, stock prices by treating stocks like species and the stock market like an ecosystem. Uh, all, the, all the stocks in the stock market compete between them and the best fit uh, stock will win the investor's money. So we'll go back into the survival of the fitness in the stock market. Uh, of course, the stock market is very sensitive to mutations. Uh, stock stock uh, companies and stocks go very often through convulsions by uh, reorganizations and by changing the CEO and by mergers and acquisitions. So one has to be careful, but uh, it does better than uh, uh, normal uh, forecasting techniques, particularly for the longer term, because uh, for the near term, there's many uh, stock price forecasting tools. Uh, but for the long term, uh, I, don't, I don't know of any which uh, claim uh, uh, reliability. The reason I claim reliability is because I, I exploit a natural law, and natural laws uh, are forever, uh, all taking into account uh, that there may be mutations of the species in the process. So uh, there is an iPad, iPhone application. Uh, you can find there's a, there's a little demo on YouTube. Uh, yeah, you let, me give your, let me give your uh, website first, and you, know, you can go, and uh, there's some great information at www.growth uh, dynamics.com and we'll again have that on the show link and then in, in the iPhone uh, where Theodore would they find that the name of the app is uh, well they can, under my name they can go through okay. uh, uh, there's a link to my app on the website but there's a little YouTube video if you go to YouTube and you type Theodore Modis uh, you'll see a video uh, a video called uh, Stocks Futures, that's the name of the program. Stocks Futures, Stocks is in the plural, in, in the genitive plural, <laughs> uh, the future of stocks. Uh, and uh, uh, that little demo uh, gives a, a full picture of uh, what this application does. Now, this has been great. Let me uh, go over kind of my key takeaways that I'm doing as we wrap everything up. That, you know, really the, the number one you know, as entrepreneurs, we, we have, you know, we're, we're charged with, you know, maybe not predicting the future, but certainly understanding the future so that we can deliver value to our clients and our customers. And the very first takeaway is that understand the natural growth of competition. And we've talked about natural species. We've talked about it in the business side. And your whole concept of this S-curve being very predictive. And, you know, we've got to look at where we are now in that cycle. Second is that we have to recognize that as you know these competitive forces are coming in, we're going to have that natural 
decline. We can't just do the exponential growth or the linear growth in a spreadsheet and, and count on that because it doesn't happen. So we're going to have to introduce new products or solutions that are going to create that next S curve. But third, we've got to be always careful of mut mutations, that there are outside forces that sometimes come in to change this. But given that, it's so much more effective in predicting that we have this understanding so we can deal with our uh, ability to predict the future, act on that, and then also be aware of changes going on. I mean, this has been extremely enlightening, uh, valuable, Theodore. I, I want to thank you for well, joining thank us. You. No, and, and appreciate very much. I know all the viewers and listeners will. And with that, you know, take this information, the insights that Theodore has shared with us, and go out and apply it in your business. You know, pick up the books. You know, really make sure you get a clear understanding of the future. This is so important for your current clients, your future clients. They're all counting on you. Don't let them down. Wish you the best of success. Thank you. Exceptional, remarkable breakthrough. AESNation.com.